And they're just one truth of the many different threads of truths from all these beautiful First Nations uh, people's ways that, that, that were in total harmony with the earth. As you know, there's so much to learn from the incredible Australian First Nations peoples that are, that are here. They know how, knew how to live and caretake the land. So it's just coming back in touch with, with that. That's Jake Taylor of In Heart's Wake, and you're listening to... The Beginning of Earth. I feel like something is rapidly transfiguring in my core being, an awakening of sorts. The Beginning of Earth. A raw conversation hosted by your main frother, Billy Otto. Pulling apart what it means to rebirth, to rewild, to be curious, and to rechild. You're listening to the man with a golden voice. Hello and welcome. I feel like every metal frontman has like an American accent. 100. percent You know, like when they're on stage. Get the fuck up, Berlin. I'm super blessed today to be with the Byron native, the wilderness master, the environmental activist, the purpose-driven metalhead. With the eyes of a sage and the mind of a prophet, the powerful, the beautiful, the vulnerable, the very daring, Jake Taylor. Dude, welcome to the show. Billy, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful, man. I feel so honored oh, to be here, dude. man. Was, oh, <laughs> geez, I mean, crying. It's been like 15 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> that was so lovely. Dude, it all comes from a, from a place of truth. Oh, thank you, you man. Know? And, um, Hung out three or four times now. I just really love your company, man. I'm always taking away new nuggets of of thought and truth, you know. And um, yeah, and love the path that you're on. So thanks for coming to hang. Thanks for coming to hang for lunch as well. Love entertaining. Love hosting. It's good to be here. That was a beautiful, beautiful lunch with all of the colours of the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Your body is frothing right now. It's frothing. I'm high on like <laughs> purple to not the purple haze, but the purple, <laughs> <laughs> the purple of the beetroot, man. And the, oh, it's it beautiful. Oh, dude. Bro, um, what excites you right now? What excites me? Tell you what, being, being at the heartbeat of what seems to be the pulse right now, like being on the pulse, being right here in Byron Bay, there seems to be a lot of exciting things happening. The world is just changing so quickly. Yet Byron in this bubble has been just this like this nest for so many cool creative projects to come out of and we're just seeing the land just, it is thriving right now with all this rain we've had and seeing it so healthy and everyone so happy comes, I mean, with deep privilege that we are to be here, that has excited me and I feel that energy and I'm taking that on and all that I'm doing. Yeah, man, I, I was surfing with Sylvie this morning out of Water Goes and Clearest Water, and we're just looking out and just, I was just overjoyous just to be swimming in nature and, and just knowing that this is my dwelling right now and just feeling so honored to be in this space, hey? Yeah, that um, when you're out on the water looking back on the land, not that you lose perspective living here, but it, it, it does bring things right back to the forefront. And it feels like I have these moments, are we in Hawaii? Like, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you see so, the green of the, of the cliffs yeah, and stuff. it feels like you're in Kauai. Yeah, Kauai, totally, sure. 100%. Yeah. No, it's so beautiful. They had good moments on those boards, eh? Yeah. Jakey, I'd love to know, man, um, if you could share, like, what does your day usually look like, day in the life of, of Jake, um, now that you're not touring, you know? So 
you are doing a bunch of cool things, but what is your, do you have a morning practice? Taking, taking some breaths, taking stock. I've been doing my very best to, to bring that uh, ever since the last couple of years. But ever since COVID hit, I felt even more of a anchoring, like getting, getting breath, uh, gratitude, 100% anchoring to gratitude and uh, being excited about the day too and all that I get the opportunity to achieve. So after that morning practice, it looks like some uh, porridge. Got to get the porridge in there. Perpetual porridge. And you have a sitting place. <laughs> um, my sit spot. Sit spot. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting place. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> secret spot, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I have. I have. I have one. I haven't been there, if I'm going to be honest with you, in the last couple of months because the mosquito infestation has oh, been so dude. great that the it was midges. it was taking me. Oh, I don't have the midges. I just have the mosquitoes. Oh yeah. But it was taking me out of this sit spot so much that <laughs> I was like, you know what? The land is telling me to have a break from this this spot. So I've just been still outdoors, yeah. um, around just yeah in the yard, living in a beautiful place. All of your conviction on the Osher Gensberg podcast about the sit spot really made me go like, fuck. I need a sit spot. What am I doing? I used to be so good about not looking at my phone until like nine o'clock. Um, but you kind of get lazy. You start sleeping into like seven thirty-eight, and then you're like just waking up to your phone and just kind of like, but I think um, it reignited something in me of being like, yeah, I'm just going to be outside in the morning. Jake does it, <laughs> you know? So whatever you said that time in the podcast, I definitely took it on board, man. So I'm, I'm definitely about that notion of having a cycle with nature, like nature waiting for you. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I almost feel guilty by saying the mosquitoes have, have sent me out of the spot. And I really <laughs> shouldn't be staying true to that spot. I, it's a, This is a good reminder for me to return to it. Yeah. And maybe I just need to get a little mosquito net. Sounds fucking, how do I say it? Sounds are, uh, I don't know the right term here, but not tough of me perhaps. But yeah, I was realizing in my, in my deep meditations, just being covered in bites. And for the rest of the day, like I'm talking like, you know, 50 bites. I'm just scratching. I'm like, you know what? What's this really serving here? I'm definitely serving the mosquitoes. <laughs> but so I would like to, re- I'm going to return to that spot. Yeah, um, that's great, man. If not, I have, you can have multiple spots, but I will just add about the sit spot. Why it is so important to do it regularly and in the same spot is that at first you'll be alien to the spot and like all of, all of the, the creatures mm. and trees will be like, hey, this isn't you. After a certain amount of time, even within, you know, let's say you get to about an, around the hour mark, you actually start to slip into the normality of that place. It starts to accept that oh, you're part of the landscape. And so you start to see nature happening in front of you as it, as it does without the human in getting involved in that. And when you do it regularly, day after day after day, you drop into that so much quicker because it's like, oh yeah, it's just that, you know, that being coming for its daily routine, just like the brush turkey comes mm. by and gathers for his nest. And the same that the kookaburra flies into that same tree and gives off, you know, the alarm calls when the man walks his dog. So there's really good lessons that, are, that you learn about yourself through that experience of nature. And in doing that, it teaches a lot about yourself. Oh, man, that's so good. Somehow through uh, our constructed narrative and our, our understanding, our paradigm of thinking that we're apart from nature, that we're disconnected from nature, We've lost our our connection and our cycle with it. We don't see ourselves as nature. We see ourselves going into nature. But I think that whole shift of knowing that we are part of nature and nature sees us as nature. Mm, returning to nature <laughs> in a way. Yeah, totally the separation. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard to operate when like I find it 
the screens and um, mm. different. It's a different brain space operating with like, you know, text and focus, and even even as musicians recording, yeah, it's a different brain space. And then when we switch to the outdoor world, surfing out there, it's expansive and it's different. And we have to you know, riding that that edge and that change. It's great when we can to be able to, to fluctuate between both so it becomes a dance and we always in constant yeah. uh, reminder of each symbiosis. world. Symbiosis. Symbiosis, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, it seems like your meditation practice and your mindfulness is really important to your journey. 100%. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of projects that I have, us creatives do, yeah. of going in that, that, taking that stock, growing the roots, staying grounded. I don't, yeah, with, without it, oh, I'd feel like I'd be much, I'd be further adrift. Yeah. Do you usually try to spend like uh, like half an hour kind of sitting in that space? Like- uh, yeah, I try to, I mean, I've tried to not take phones and watches. I've tried to. Yeah. Often it's hard when you've got that eight o'clock Zoom call, you know, yeah. COVID has become a Zoom, <laughs> Zoom word yeah. that we all know. But so, you know, whatever, whatever the time is, it's not about length of time. Mm. It's about how deep you can go in the time. Sometimes, some days it's, it's harder than others, but just um, the devotion to the practice is really, that is the practice. It's mm. great, man. The first day that I met you was actually at the winds, the, the oh, yeah, solstice, summer solstice. And I saw you on that rock in that circle just in December welcoming in the age of Aquarius and man, it was, it was a phenomenal time. The energy there was something otherworldly. Um, but I remember just walking past you and we kind of locked eyes and we kind of knew because we'd spoken on the phone one time about some music merchandise stuff we were talking about, but I saw you, man, I just definitely, definitely felt like you were someone who was checked in, you know, and there was a stillness about you an observation, a reflection about you. And yeah, it's been great, man. Just growing as friends and as brothers, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been, I remember that moment, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I know what a beautiful, it was a beautiful ceremony too with yeah. the First Nations family, like not just, not just like an individual, but a family holding that energy, that space for us yeah. to drop into something that they've, you know, musicians have been singing about since the 60s. And all of a sudden we were on the eve of that moment, that precipice, not that it starts definitively, but, you know, yeah. technically it started right on that shift. And yeah, you turned like, you know, like you turned up, but like if someone had said, oh, who do you expect to be here today? Oh, I don't even know who would have picked, but yeah. it was like, there's Billy. Yeah, I, remember, <laughs> I know that guy. And that's It's funny too, because the people that I thought were going to be there, the people that had invited me to be there weren't even there. Same, was, same. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they had it planned all along. Yeah, man. Get Billy and Jake to meet properly. Yeah, man. But I, I just love how the universe does that. You're not planning for it, but you have an intention of, love and connection and it just always works out and even the the ceremony was all a little bit random in a way like we had no expectation and it was beautifully planned but beautifully very unplanned as well and just kind of drifted off into the night but I just remember looking around in that misty fog at about 9 30 it was like I was in like this never never land line which in the wardrobe <laughs> like looking up and the stars that night it's like the the universe was just singing with us, you know, in our hearts and the smoking ceremony. So momentous. Yeah, it was powerful. I remember seeing a lot of glowing, yeah. glowing, glowing fungi around too and out. Do you remember seeing that? Yeah. Which was unusual. I, I don't know that I can really recall that much glowing fungi ever seeing it. Yeah. It was, it was otherworldly, very otherworldly. Yeah, bro. Um, do you want to just explain to the listeners 
um, some that have kind of been out of the loop with the calendar and the alignment of stars, what was going on. Do you just, do you just want to give a heads up? The age of Aquarius? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> what's the short answer of that? Um, it's a shift. It's an energetic shift. Uh, I mean, speaking about the age of Aquarius and what an, what an Aquarian is by nature, we're stepping into truth, technology, air, into this new, this new, uh, new field, new space. And we're seeing that, you know, with all these technology that is rampantly coming up. Not to say that it's going to rule us, but it can be incredible tools. And we're seeing new art hit its forefront, a, a shift in the people uh, deciding, you know, am I standing up to this and rising above this, being, being so to speak, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, accepting that mm. we're sort of, I don't want to say in a tunnel, but we, are, we were born into these times for a reason. We're not yes. victims of something. And choosing that and choosing to find and seek the truth and to rise above that and work through it is something that uh, that's part of this shift into the age of Aquarius that I feel. And being an Aquarian who can sometimes get so up in his uh, mind, you know, it's, that's the field that the energy often operates in. And the mind is a wonderful tool. Mm. As much as it is an ally, it is an enemy. Um, anchoring it into the heart whenever possible through nature, community connection. And that is what we have to do with the age of Aquarius. Yeah, we're anchoring it mm. and really grounding it. Yeah, man. Because um, I think um, what Jambi said that night as well is like, as we're ushering in this new time, it's about us being willing to be channels for this energy that is coming from the earth through our bodies, translated up there, coming back to us from heaven, back through us to the ground again. And this, I guess, working with the loving energy of the earth, um, which is more of a sacred feminine. Like we are coming into an age where I think there is going to be a softness and a sensitivity um, as we've seen historically in the last couple of thousand years, especially a very patriarchal driven world, a lot of control systems, a lot of things have worked and obviously we've come to this point, but I think there is going to be a grounding in a sacred feminine in this time that hasn't been seen on this large scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just would add that with the, with the divine feminine, sacred feminine, it also has a fierceness. Yeah. Like the mother that has had her children, you know, taken away. Well, you've seen how a, a mother bear or a mother tigress, like, will get up and, you know, it will, it will fight for its children. And yeah. in the same way that it is soft and nurturing, it, she does have a fierceness about her too. It's important to know that this, this, the fierceness can come through extreme weather patterns or waking, you know, wakings up in other ways. So just seeing that is all, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all of, of one thing and two halves of, of that feminine energy and to, yeah, be bridges and to, to ground that as much as possible. Mm, I think that's really good to say, man, because I think sometimes, I think, especially like two years ago, you'd hear things like the toxic masculine and the sacred feminine. And again, like our ego is trying to create these weird dichotomies and these polarizations. And it's like, no, but there's also a sacred masculine and there can be a to like a shadow feminine as well. And it's kind of just not elevating one over the other, but seeing like it's our minds that are calling it feminine and masculine. It's still the same essence of love, but I guess it's our, as sapiens, you know, trying to name that energy flow. And, but I think um, 
it's a really it's a really really beautiful time to be alive and to be waking up, man. Like I keep on saying that to people, people asking me like, man, how you going? And I'm like, man, it's an exciting time right now. And, and especially because men are checking in to their sensitive, vulnerable natures. Women are being heard. Um, there's a growing awareness about what we're doing to the planet and a growing craving to be reconnected to it. And I'm, I'm just pumped as you are, man, as a creative to be in that space with, with my channel of music and with my platform being part of that yeah, change. Your and that bridge. Shift. Yeah. And your, it's your bridge. Yeah. yeah. Kind of what Jambi's, yeah, the indigenous, the First Nations man talking about, yeah, the channeling. That's in a way your, your, your art form is, is channeling and, yeah. and bridging and grounding that yeah. as part of your expression. It is exciting. Yeah, man. Tell me about, um, I just want to kind of check in maybe to a little bit of what's just happened in the last week with International Women's Day. And um, yeah, you classify yourself as a male and you come from mainly like a Caucasian kind of heritage. So like maybe a white male. Um, you have amazing eyes though. Who knows where they come from? It's like you're wearing eyeliner all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Emo 2004. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm wearing eyeliner. But... <laughs> So what? Nah. <laughs> yeah. What What are your thoughts on this change with how we're understanding women in the workplace, women in leadership, women in politics and the future being feminine? What are your thoughts on that conversation? Yeah. It's a big, it's a, it's an important and big conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's still, it's still not at a place of equality yet, you know? In some circumstances, I feel like, you know, from a male perspective, it's like, do I even, of course, I'll always elevate and support, but do I even, you know, is this even my, not place to say, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's always a, an interesting conversation and I'm honored to be part of it. Uh, to say that, yeah, we need, the equality is still, is still not quite there. Um, it is at the, for, it seems to be at the forefront of, of mainstream awareness, yeah. starting to be, which is fantastic. But we're still fighting for this 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 equality, and that that's as well as BIPOC voices too. Like we've seen, not to date any conversation, but we'll say in the recent you know Golden Globes, uh, which is a huge thing for you know the entertainment industry mm. and the actors and stuff. There's not one uh, not one BIPOC for like black voice uh, mm. member in the 83 plus. Um, people who vote for the actual you know, awards, yeah. and it's like this is still you know they're st it's still out of balance. And uh, we're, you know, we need the women, and we need to have the the equality there, in uh, yeah, rep in equal representation, hundred yeah. percent. That needs to happen, and until we get to that place, we can't start looking at. Hang on a second, we're all, we all ha we have all so much more in common than apart, yeah. and we're all native to this earth. We're all from this earth now. It's easy for me to say that right now and here, but we have to acknowledge where the inequality lies to bring that so that we can all feel that we're a part of that too. Yeah, man. I, I, I sent up a post this week about um, International Women's Day and I honestly was really nervous about it. Um, and it was something that I came into with a lot of fear and trembling just because I just don't know what it's like to experience uh, that kind of treatment, to be looked at in certain ways, to be over-sexualized, work opportunities, um, 
just the way that women have been so commodified in the last hundred years even and the pain body of a woman, what she's carried. Um, you know, we've seen like centuries and millennia of witch hunting, like actual witch hunting, you know, and that's not part of my pain body as much as it is a woman's, you know. Um, I am a man, so I have certain privilege. Um, but I do believe that there is this acceptance and understanding and coming to terms with that and and also speaking to that space as well. Like I do, I know that I have been so conditioned by rugby league culture, by porn, by Hollywood to see women in a certain way through religion as well. Like God created Adam first, you know, Eve came from the rib of Adam <laughs> Adam named Eve, like all this stuff that I was told that that literally happened. And I believe that until like my later twenties, bro. So it's just kind of like, there's so much, not only decolonizing, but then just deconditioning of my understanding of the sacred feminine. And it's only just now that I've just beautifully been able to come full circle 360 and go on like, fuck yeah. Not only do I, can I reverence the lady and reverence the divine feminine, but also going back and seeing it in myself it's my ego that's trying to so declassify the sacred feminine. It's, it's, it's the NRL rugby league in me that doesn't want to, 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 to proclaim that inner feminine, but it's, it's coming to terms with that. And it's like when I'm loving women, I'm loving myself. It's all connected. When I'm honoring myself, the honor that I have for women and for the cause that we have before us right now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. The, the representation of a yin and yang like that visual representation is always such, it's such a wonderful harmonious way of showing what's so important about that is the two dots that lie in, in both, you know, quadrants. Yeah. How we have both a part of us, like there's, there's divine masculinity and divine feminine in, yeah. in all of us. It's just not always, um, the energy isn't always in balance and, and being in a physical identifying as a physical male body, there's more testosterone perhaps being produced. So therefore, you know, I'm more inclined to lean towards that, that energy. Yeah. But it's all like, how can I, how can I balance those two mm. within myself and be in the left side of the brain as much as the right, yeah. you know, and, and find the heart. Looking at it, looking at, it's fascinating looking at it genetically and looking at scientifically too, yeah. to find out like what are other ways to bring in those energies and, and to yeah, find harmony in the two. And it is, it's been, a, it's a minefield. <laughs> it's a minefield and it has been with like cancel culture and yeah. 2020 that it is. It's, it becomes like, I'm afraid to almost, yeah, do a post about it. Is, yeah. is this going to come across as inauthentic or authentic? Will it hurt people? I mean, there's so many triggering oh, things out man. there um, that it's almost easier to just, yeah, render yourself silent. But it's great that you did, you posted about that and it comes from, a true place and checking in where it's coming from too yeah. is really important. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Do people ever get surprised with you, Jakey, that obviously the front and the external perception on a metal band is like masculine energy, testosterone, testosterone, sorry, um, the brotherhood, the bros, the boys, um, a lot of passion, a lot of conviction. For someone to see your show or to hear just a song and then maybe meet you on the street and have a chat. Like I felt like you and I were talking about the heart really, really quickly, you know, when we first met, you know, and I think some people probably wouldn't expect like a heart level like this from you 
listening to the music on the surface value. Like obviously your music is so well thought out, so intentioned and so purposeful, but are people ever kind of like, oh, wow, man, like this guy's really been on a beautiful, vulnerable soul journey? They're often, yeah, they think I'm going to be terrifying, like yeah. really angry, terrifying and kind of, yeah, intense in that intense, way. Yeah. yeah. And so I get a lot of people, huh, you're actually really nice or like right. kind or or you're, mo- you're a lot more, as you would say, feminine in terms of more gentle. Gentle, gentle yeah, perhaps. Sensitive. Um, I think on, on my journey, like I'm still, we're still really, you know, young in the scheme of things, but the older that I get, my time's starting to feel more and more precious. And I'm seeing that through my parents' eyes and in my journey through who I'm meeting and I'm choosing to spend my time with, I'm looking for that heart connection without rushing to get there. That's, that's really the heart connections where I feel alive and most awake. Yeah. So that can also be really actually confronting for people sometimes too. Uh, not wanting to be in that space and would prefer the angrier, tattooed guy, which I'm not. (laughs) So it's uh, interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, connecting, finding connecting, being direct. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I prefer that. I prefer that. Like that level of communication is where I'm at right now. Yeah. And that's really cool as well, man, because I think, yeah, I think sometimes people would be, assuming and projecting that someone who was on more of a soul path and more connected with their emotions should be singing more sensitive folk music. But it's, it's great that you can, you can journey into a different modality and still carry that integrity and that heart into a space that on the shell seems a different flavor. I think it's, you know, I think it, I think that the metal hardcore, like full on stuff, you know, that stemmed from being 13, 14 years old. <laughs> um, being being in that youthful energy where it was so needed to like actually have release yeah. rather than going out and uh, getting trashed or like vandalizing something or whatever, you know, yeah. that was that was our way of releasing that energy. So we got that that fix. Now, I mean, yeah, getting uh, being known as musician musician for that, um, I've realized that a year off it is actually a, there's a need. Just like people go to the gym and they don't have it all of a sudden, like oh, that release is gone. Mm. And it is a primal place that I connect with. It feels primal. Yeah. It does feel it, as fiercely as it could be in the feminine. It does feel fierce in its masculinity. My ma, my mother, who's a a, uh, a tarot reader, and I would say much more in you know, a feminine than masculine, given that she's always in that place of intuitive area. Uh, comes along to the gigs and really, she says she she really enjoys it and rocks out and gets into it and she loves feeling, enjoys feeling that masculine energy from the band coming through in a, uh, as she's, I'm quoting her, in kind of a a pure, uh, unfiltered, unapologetic way yeah. without it being, um, without it being like arrogant and, and vulgar. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> that was the unquote came before the arrogant and vulgar. <laughs> yeah. oh, so filtered, bro. It's I feel the same way, man. Even like listening to Hellbringer before, like every time I hear that track, I'm like, this is my roots. <laughs> this is this is this is my ancestry. These are like ancestral spirits and these rhythms and just kind of it's it's so beautifully brutal, you know. And I and I feel that, you know, I, like I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And I think, um, I think it's sometimes, especially in a in a world that is so sanitized, especially in the West, it's like we don't go out and hunt anymore for our dinner. 
you know, like we, we don't really experience um, more intense um, disciplines to survive like we used to. And so I think there is like an access point for that of, of something drastic, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, got, it's got as a rawness to it and it's nice to just, yeah, to let loose mm. and to oh, people go to doofs. Dwarfs are incredible for that energy too yeah. in their place. They all have a have a spot where you can it just it it how do you say what uh tickles that itch. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great, man. Tell me about growing up because I guess, you know, growing up like you're a Steiner kid. I love all my friends and families that are involved in the Steiner education system. They're all legends. Oh, I can even my sister today, she's like, I'm so close to like getting my kids into a Steiner school. Like it just makes sense, you know, and um but yeah, again, like creating a metal band from being in a Steiner world is still kind of like, it's a bit of a leap again. Um, but yeah, you, you've loved Steiner, correct? And you got your rainbow certificate. You, you did the whole thing. Yep, got my rainbow certificate. Don't know if that's made up or not, but <laughs> I feel like it could be. Is it? Is rainbow certificate a thing or is that a joke? No, it's, it's a, a thing. thing. I didn't get it's a, a rainbow certificate. <laughs> I got gyps. It's a full on thing, dude. Yeah, it what? must have come like, the generation after you. Well, no way. Yeah. What is it? Is it say that you it's can? Instead of getting like a HSC, it's a rainbow certificate. No it, way. it is some kind of. Yeah. 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 Con- congratulations! You can paint yeah, with all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> or the colors of the wind. That's yeah. a great song, right? Yeah. Can we? Yeah. Pocahontas. All right. Um. Yeah, Steiner. Well, you know what? They they don't actually. The thing that I remember and love the most was with those like always using those crayons, those colored crayons. Mm. Uh, and something they had to have us do in primary school all the time is before we would start that artwork or that piece, whatever we do, we would frame it in yellow, lemon yellow border. That was like a thing, lemon yellow border. So everything you do is illuminated within light. At the time you're like, all right, yeah, I can do this. Like, you know, lemon yellow, like border thing, but like also... Like, why am I doing this? You know, then after a while, it starts to make sense. Everything was always bathed in light. And so that was a, such a cool little like subtle thing to get in there for children. Like seeing everything through this, this window of light. They don't let you use black crayons from memory. I didn't have any. So maybe that's part of the, part of the way that getting into metal at the time, you know, I just needed the color like black to wear it, to like see what that was like and paint with that color for a little bit. <laughs> It's true, man. And you couldn't wear black to school. Wow. I hope that's changed because it was like, yeah, black was just like this, you know, the dark, it was as if it was darkness and gray. They wanted everything to feel like you could have, you know, you could wear violet to, to maroon or whatever, but just not black. Mm. Um, I tell you what, black's a beautiful color. But you could wear white. Could wear white. I believe you could wear white. Yeah. yeah. But mind you, parents wouldn't, wouldn't dress any kid in white unless they're willing to do washing like seven times a week. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always like, let's give them the darker colors that we can get away with because they'll hide the dirt. Yeah. And I guess I think, um, because I think for me growing up in the public system and then even teaching in public schools, like I used to be a teacher. And so um, I I still kind of felt like competition was ingrained in me from age four, you know, like literally like, you know, you're in kindergarten, you have to run a hundred meter race against your best friend <laughs> and the math test in like grade two, you know, like you just, you just don't want to come last in that. You don't want to be seen as dumb. Like, so you're constantly trying to get to the top of your class of 30 kids and then you get an accolade 
because you memorized and regurgitated the best out of anyone there. Your dyslexic friends, screwed. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I, it was, it's like as much as like I really enjoyed school. I was a school captain. I did all the right things in that sense. But looking back, um, yeah, man, I would have loved to have had a, a more of a holistic education system and something that put me a bit more in touch with my heart and really like was intention to connect me more, more with people, myself, the earth. Mm. Yeah, I am very feel very lucky to have been to a Steiner school. I might add that when I was going to Steiner, it, it wasn't like, it was a privilege to go to Steiner, but all of the kids, their parents didn't have much money. The kids, like the parents would turn up in whatever bomb cars they could afford to get their kids there. Mm. The kids were like often didn't fit in anywhere else. They could have been denied from all these schools because they might have had like, uh, you know, a slight, I don't even use the word learning, you know, difficulty, but like just, let's just say they had different abilities yeah. and uh, Steiner would accept them, you know, and the parents were always trying to cough up rent. So we, I felt like I was surrounded by a bunch of misfits, but it all had something different to bring to the table. Yeah. And that thing I loved about it. And now when I've been to the, you know, return to these schools, Everyone wants to go there, which means the demand is so high that often the parking lots are covered in you know, Range Rovers everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And the wait list is like 600 plus from what I hear. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the same as what it was, but when I was there, it was, it was an interesting place. Yeah. But man, it's there's something about the shift though. It's like celebrities want their kids there. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. there's something so connecting about this alternative education that is contagious and it's a cry of the world. Yeah for a more connecting modality, which is really exciting. It's not just like, oh, how can I, should we move to Sydney and get our kids in Scots College? That's still a thing. But I think the rich man now is trying to move to somewhere coastal country, um, wants to be on an acreage. The smart rich man. Not, yeah, for sure. <laughs> By smart, I mean, you're looking at the actual future of yeah. the land and kind of actually like nurture and provide for the family because yeah. that's what matters most. And that's, that's the difference between, when I say the smart one, I guess, someone really looking into the future and therefore stepping into much more of their heart space than just what's right in front of them at the time to turn over a buck. Yeah. And that's like the difference of the shift when we start to look at the future of the planet through our children's eyes. Whew. Yeah, because we're indebted to our kids. Yeah. We've stolen from our grandkids. Yeah, and and it would be safe to say that there are many digging graves for their grandchildren too. Yeah. Whoa. Man, I want to come back to some of your Enviro causes. It's just jumping from Steiner, um, you found yourself in a metal band. I just want to kind of get a bit – I don't really know exactly what was the leap into Inhart's Wake and everything, but I felt like you guys kind of – kind of blew up while you were quite young. Were you still in your teens? Um, no, I would... Um, did, did you guys gather in your late teens but kind of yeah. have a little break at 23, 24? Yeah, so just a quick, uh, you know, quick quick history is uh, actually playing music together from as young as 13 years old. Oh. This, these, this band members, we didn't form In Hearts Wake till 16. It was just playing whatever gigs we could, going to local hardcore shows in Byron Bay, which... You know, I don't know what it is now, whether it's surf, rock or busking, like whatever. It was cool at the time. That was where we hung out. Yeah. And you're That's, playing a lot with Parkway at that stage? Uh, and actually, no. I was going to a lot of Parkway shows, at, yeah. you know, for five bucks and it wasn't even sold out to a hundred kids. But like, I wasn't playing those shows yet. Parkway was starting to 
just starting to like go dabble overseas at first. And then we started playing those same venues, but we weren't playing with Parkway. We actually didn't play with Parkway Drive until we're in our early 20s at like a big festival. And then they took us on tour around America, which was cool to like really build our own, get on our own two feet, become our own band, not to ride on their coattails in the initial stages. It felt really nice to bring something, you know, that would have been the easier route. It was like, yep, let's just, let's just tag along here. They really felt like we, we created our own identity there. And it's hard when you're compared to the biggest, you know, one of the biggest metal bands in the world at the moment and the, like compared to them because we're from the same town. Because it's yeah. not comparable. They're huge. Like they're, <laughs> they're their own beasts. And it's not necessarily like even like there was a hardcore scene in your day here, but it's not known as like a metal town. It, no, it's, it's quite a, a small place. It and, was, it was a, really hardcore was the term. Yeah. Hardcore was mm. the term. Yeah. And it's a hardcore mentality. North Coast hardcore. Yeah. What was it? It was just not nah, BBHC. Just buying by hardcore. Yeah. It was, it was like we were, I, I, you know, almost like a, a brother, a gang, like a brotherhood, like chicks too. Like there was, like it was, it was wild. We were starting to get, you know, it was starting to get known around the world. Like we'd have met big bands playing, you know, Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane. Oh, let's stop off in that town, Byron, because there's, you know, those kids go nuts and it's the real deal. We don't get that anymore anywhere else. So they'd stop here. Yeah. And we were exposed to that stuff. And it was, it was real and gritty and like no security guards. Like no one, I don't even know if there was public liability. It was just kids on backflips off the walls going nuts with a couple of speakers. Like it sounded like shit and it was the best night of your life. <laughs> so that that was all the and that filled us up you know as young musicians and being in a creative school they were encouraging okay what creative project do you want to do well I want to do my band's EP so for my HSC which is you know year, year 11 and year 12 and what they call it now one of the projects I did for design and technology is what it was called at the time was did my band's EP or demo I did the artwork I did all of that and I think I got like 95% for it or something yeah so doing, at Steiner. At Steiner. So awesome. doing something that I loved mm. and was allowed to do actually got me a better mark. Mm. And it was still, you know, accepted on, on that um, what do you call it? Uh board of studies, you know, world, which did you have a was there any craving when you were younger being like, man, was there like identity complex stuff involved with like it'd be so cool if we broke, you know? Like, was there any of that? It'd be sick to be like a big band. Or was there a point where you're like, man, like things are happening now? Um, we never because I felt like I had that, especially like growing up in the Newcastle rock and roll scene. Like yeah. I got signed to a label when I was like 15, and wow. it felt so cool. Yeah, I think that it was is just cool, that, man. It I know, cool. but I think there was like obviously there's some beautiful like teenage insecurity. It's because you, you do kind of there's part of you that does cry out for a bit of attention, you know, and. Um, yeah, wanting to be seen yeah, too. Yeah, for man, sure. But it's not all bad. It's no, just like, it's, no. it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. You know what? I I, I wasn't the, I don't feel like I was, I, okay, I'll say I don't feel, I didn't feel like I was a popular kid. It's I felt like a bit of a misfit, you know? Even at Steiner? Yeah, like I didn't have a, <laughs> well, yeah. Also, I didn't really have, or just even fitting in social environments. I didn't have like, what was cool at the time was to, you know, have a tan, be like super, like, you know, whatever, muscly and fit or something with like a short haircut. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had those qualities. I was mm. much more like, I was the kid playing soccer and going to hardcore shows. I wasn't surfing, much as I love surfing now. I wasn't in those, you know, those areas, which was what was kind of being sold as what was cool at the time in, in modern culture. Like, yeah, that's what it felt like at least. 
So I feel like I was going the path less traveled at the time, um, not just within Steiner, but even in Byron High and what was around me. Um, so that was, yeah. And then part of, I know it's kind of ironic, you get the mic and how loud can you possibly like turn the music up and, and yell? It was mm. kind of like, hang on a second. Like, yeah, like this is me feeling heard and saying what I need to say. So kind of ironic, the, you know, the quiet kid all of a sudden's the one yelling the loudest. <laughs> mm. And uh, yeah, there was definitely a sense of finally feeling seen and heard. And it gave me a platform to write the lyrics and things that I wanted to express and say. Mm. Maybe also as a, you know, um, without, there's no, I'm, I've got a great, great, great relationship with my parents now, but perhaps not being seen by the dad, you know, when I'm younger, like play with me, let's kick the ball, you know, that can kind of develop a sort of complex of, of wanting to be able to be heard and, and, and validated perhaps. Mm. So that could have been a symptom of the band as well. I'm not sure. But there was never anything sold to me at the time of like, if you kill it, there will be like champagne, caviar and like beautiful women. It wasn't, yeah. that wasn't a, that was never a thing. The best thing that I saw that could happen was you get to tour the world with your mates. Yeah. In the hardcore scene at least. So that to me was making it. Going overseas, getting to like play gigs. Yeah, and being like, paid to go overseas yeah. with your best friends. Yeah, and do, sure. and do dumb shit. Like jump off bridges and like, you know, into water and like, hurt yourself like the jackass thing and that was big at the time <laughs> and so doing that in my early 20s that was the like our first international tour was at, when we were 23 22 23 with our debut record out that to me was yeah like when I say made it I'm like yeah like this is what I wanted to do like I'm doing it actually doing it yeah wow man yeah um, and it seems like your relationship with the boys has just gone from strength to strength yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Brothers. And yeah, and and you know, the longer you spend with anyone, the longer you know them. That's something that money can't buy because they knew you when you were a certain age, and you've. It's not about sticking with them, but they've seen you. They can't. They can call you out and be like, "Man, you're full of shit right now," because I, mm. I, 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 I know you deeply and intimately from all those years of spending it in the van, in the plane, backstage, waiting to play shows, seeing you at your worst and your best, and that you can't trade. For anything. So it's nice to take breaks from each other sometimes too, like any brothers. But that bond is, yeah, mm. it's, it's so strong and so lucky to have that, especially as an only child, to have, you know, a family that whether I chose them or they chose me, it, I wouldn't be the same without it. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, I think there's sometimes a lot of flack that people in rock and roll or in metal or hardcore or just bands in general is kind of get of like it's all built around insecurity and it's all just about attention seeking and just, you know, just self-loathing. But I think there is something beautiful within um, heavy music and rock music where people do want to say something and there is this, this soul element of like, fuck yeah, like I want to be seen. Yeah, fuck yeah, like I want to be heard and I would love to have a platform to say how I feel and I'm not okay right now about this and I'm not okay about the world and I'm trying to work out my mental health and I guess metal and hardcore does capture a lot of those themes, like interrelationship complexity. Um, and what I found about the heaviest scene when I was growing up was that finally there was a world where people were being real about their raw emotions it's weird. You come from these rugby league towns, but then like you're crying at these metal shows and there's like, you know, songs about suicide, mm. you know, but no one was talking about suicide two yeah, years true. before, you know? So it was just like, it finally gave a portal for conversation. And 
and then you go to a heavy music show or a rock show and it feels like you're at church. Mm. You know, like we're singing that chorus, we're all in that breakdown together and there's just that collective conscious awareness and there is a real sense of togetherness and connectedness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A place where yeah, you can you can celebrate celebrate whatever that common that common thread is. Mm. And like with anything, everything has a shadow, I'll add, you know. 100%. And there's a difference between, yeah, like getting the scalpel and, and you know, opening something up as opposed to saying like, this is what's happened. This is what's happened and, and it's okay. Yeah. You know, how can we heal that? And so that's, you know, it's, it's better, better indoors in those places too to let it out there and say it as it is than in mm. a bedroom closed up where no one can… Mm no one can can hear or see you. So that release is so important. was so important for us. There is a bit of angst and you could call it anger or aggression, yeah. but like that's got a place just as much oh, as, yeah, as, as love and sensitivity does. They yeah. both in that yin and yang spectrum. Even when I was a minister, like I used to study like the Old Testament and a lot of the Psalms, like King David is like really, really angry about his enemies and he writes it down, he sings about it and it's real and he wants them dead, you know? It's kind of like, but who hasn't felt that before about the bully at school? Yeah. You know, but we, we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And then we feel bad for thinking it, but they're just thoughts. But I think it's like um, being real with those raw feelings. Oh man, it's powerful. Yeah. Um, King, King David needs to run a mosh song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Uh, man. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. Um, I had a thought there about the um, anger in its shadow. Oh, that's right. It's flying out the window. Oh, me too. But yeah, it's yeah, it was a cool, very interesting case study, and to be a part of that, just yeah, to summarize that and feeling uh, like I, I know I know that that space and that place. Oh, that's what it was. Ah, uh, with so much like honestly in the world, like there's so many. As much as it is beautiful, equal to that is the shadow. There is so much heavy, dark stuff mm. happening out there in the world, and that is where I think heavy music and what is seen as dark and stuff has a, has a place to speak about those things mm. and to scream it and to say it really loud, mm. not to sugarcoat it and to uh, just keep it like, yeah, hidden and just like everything's all good. Let's go out on a Friday night and just like, you know, dance the week away. Instead, it's like, no, this is, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And that comes from those punk ethics yeah. of uh, really saying it as it is. And it's where, yeah, going against the status quo Mm. Um, what's real to the people like we've mm. seen it yeah through punk rage against the machine like, yeah. there might not be a metal band but there's a real fury I, I even sense it now yeah. a fury within the people just calling out what is not okay coming yeah. back to back to gender coming back yeah. to systemic sex. racism yeah racism it's like this shit is not okay yeah. and to, to sing it really lightly sometimes <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't really address the wound because I haven't felt it when I was at church and sometimes I just hear all these beautiful, soft songs that are often mirrored from um, Gregorian chants, you know, from Europe or from Coldplay. There's kind of like this mixture of conservative and more liberal music in the church world. But it, it is very like overly sensitive a lot of the time and it's talking about this masculine God, but it has a very sensitive mm. nature to it and it's beautifully and soft and it makes you feel kind of good. But part of me would just be like, man, like I, as a young person, I craved that conviction. And when I'd see it from like a front man on stage, I'd be like, yeah, I feel that. Mm. That's how I feel too. And um, I think it says something in humanity, like whether it's in 
heavy music or when someone's talking on a podcast, when someone actually means what they say and says what they mean and they just fucking send it. It's like, yeah, like I'll back that guy. Mm, it's refreshing, yeah, to yeah. hear it. Yeah. Even though it might divide or polarize people. Yeah. Someone in their truth and conviction, as you say, yeah, it's that that confidence speaks from a true place to that person. Yeah, you you met Henry Rollins when you were young through your stepdad, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I did. He played with, uh, he was in Black Flag. Henry Rollins is an iconic character. I was 11 or 12. My stepdad was in a band called Mass Appeal. Yeah. Very big in the 80s and 90s. They played the first big day out, co-headlined with Nirvana. Mass like, Appeal? Mass Appeal, yeah. They were a big punk band. Yeah, yeah. And I had no idea what the heck they were or whatever. But Henry Rollins, Black Flag, touring Australia. We want Mass Appeal to get back together and play with us. So, of course, my stepdad, Randy, Randolph Ryman, he said, yeah, like, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll do it, of course. So, it was at the Metro Sydney, sold out, 18 plus. I had to go. They had to sneak me. I remember coming in the back alley because the security guards were not cool with it, you know. Yeah. I came back with the loading doors, just seeing all the graffiti on the walls and the grit of this venue that had housed so many, like, crazy minds and hearts over the years. And then I get, like, pushed out onto the side stage to watch. And there's my stepdad just, like… You know, he's and by the way, offstage, calmest, gentle, like loving, give you all the time in the world to to teach you a skill or a craft. And there he's on stage going mental, like running around back and forth, screaming, like thousand metalheads, you know, punk, whatever you want to call it, mohawks and long hair, just going nuts. And uh, it was organized chaos. Yeah. And I thoroughly loved it. Didn't know what the hell was happening with the music, but it just felt it felt real and authentic to me. Then he came off stage and he's like, oh, I want you to meet someone. Took me over to see Henry. And Henry was like, I remember he's this big- Yeah, he was really looking, working out in the day. Gorilla looking Huge, guy. yeah. You know, super tight jeans in like a tank. He's like got some just real big and kind of yeah, overbearing. Goes, hey, what's up, man? I'm Henry. You know, it's like, hey, man. Like this little, little white kid with like long <laughs> limbs. Like, hey, man. But it stuck with me. And th- these are the moments that, that, yeah, you have to inspire you to send you off on your journey. Oh, dude. It's getting chills. Um, was he supporting, was it with Black Flag or Henry Rollins' band? It was, it was Henry Rollins. I don't know how it was billed, but it was Black Flag. It was Henry Rollins with Black Flag in support of the West Memphis Three uh, uh, fundraiser. So the West, West Memphis Three were th- three wrongly convicted men in Memphis done for murder. They were, I, I don't want to get this fact wrong, but there was a huge racial thing happening too. Whoa. Basically, they were convicted of something they, they, they didn't do. And so this is a fundraiser to get them off death row. And Henry was very much a part of, of um, supporting that fundraiser. So this was a tour and raising funds for that. Mm. Oh, dude. Um, you've, you've come into this space in your life now in this season where you're really taking seriously your custodianship over, over resource, natural resources, natural landscapes, biodiversity. And it's really inspiring to me seeing how you guys as a band, as In Hearts Wake, really um, keeping tabs on your emissions. Um, and I guess in some ways, probably maybe not even intentionally doing this, but I think really kind of paving a way for a carbon neutral way of operating as a big band or just as an artist in general. It's great, man. I, I remember hearing this about you before we'd met, probably through Ed and Narayan, some of our good mates. And because um, I was part of a project with Ed and Narayan last year called Our Song, this Tampa project thing. And it was the first carbon neutral project I've ever been a part of. And 
even that alone of me really counting costs of of what it actually takes for me to make one single song, <laughs> not even tour it, and I'll, it was it was staggering. Mm. Um, but I think you guys, as as a bigger metal band, and and really uh, come to terms consciously with, with the cost that it takes the earth to make that happen, you know. So like I, yeah, man. What I mean, like uh, I want to affirm you on that, man. It's it's amazing, really inspiring to so many people like myself. Thanks, buddy. And how's that been? Has Thank it been you. like the last four or five years or so? Uh, it's probably. Oh, I I think I think the seeds were planted ever since we did that first international tour. Because yeah. that the, that was the first time that we did see, hang on a second, we got it real good in Byron Bay here and there's a bit of a disconnect happening between the people and the land and the fallout of that is not only does it, it's, it, it appears to be affecting their way of life, but also it's affecting us on, on tour and on the road because we don't feel that balance. So from that seed led to, hang on, we really need this in our lives. What is threatening that? So let's let's hail and, and protect and support that. And so that led to the, you know, the planning of, of trees on a second record. For every record sold, we plant a tree. And it just grew with different environmental, uh, I hate using the word environmental, but different uh, life-supporting <laughs> life supporting projects. Uh, that was, yeah, really just, just trying to yeah, be, be a part of something bigger than just the music and really get behind the message. And that led into this record, being the fourth of an element series. You know, we did earth, we did air, we did water and protected the waterways, dredged marine debris. And then this was like, okay, we've got a fire record on our hands here. Let's really look at the fires that we need to put out with our own band. And that coincided with the Australian bushfires and all of what was happening around the world, just just, just pointing towards how, how can we bring emissions down? We have mm. to start with our own band and our own actions to see if it can even be done and so that that really those last two years has been the journey of Kali Yuga, this, this mm. new record and being as accountable as possible and also recognizing there is no perfect way to do it. Yeah. Things are gonna go through the cracks. And that's where this that's where the fear to do anything good steps in of being cancelled, of getting it wrong. Um, you know, if we were told that we had to to run before we could fall over and walk, you know, mm. like as babies, we'd never would have ran. Yeah. So we have to bring that in and just say like we're doing our best. Let's try and build this so we can all run in an eco way. Yeah. I love that, man, because I think sometimes we can get a bit hard on ourselves. It's like I was going like really strictly plastic free for a while and I'm, I'm still trying to stay on that path the best that I can, but I'd, I'd be so hard on myself and my body would just crave tofu. It's so hard to get tofu plastic free. Yeah. And I was just like, I just got to do it and da, da, da. And I was just still entertaining a bunch of people for dinners and things. And I just get like so caught up on these, on some tiny things. Obviously, like part of me is just then going through that. Like, well, what are the bigger overarching things right now? Like, I don't want to get caught on the small things right now when there's whole systems like fossil fuel corruption, fracking, seam gas, all these things that are happening on a huge, like I need, I want to be able to, take, you know, tabs on my own impact, but also see the bigger landscape of things too. Like, I think it's all, it's like, it's, it's really important to see both, you know? And I think sometimes people go, well, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to get plastic free or count my emissions until Coca-Cola does. You know, someone told me the other day that, you know, the plastic packaging from Coca-Cola could go to the moon and back three times. 
you know, like the triple packaging that they have over their crates and their freights and everything and their bottles. And so it's just like all that shrink wrap involved in Coke, that's got to stop first. But no, like the spiritual transaction of like you taking tabs of your own impact is where it all begins. And I think people see that and the ripples go out from there. Yeah, accountability. Yeah. It's a it's a theme we yeah. we all we all well we all can have a look at. Yeah. Not to say that anyone else should do it. It's up to them yeah. to want to be accountable. And that goes into I mean, as a virtue. Yeah. Like you know, where are the politicians or the leaders that that you know, where's where's honor? Mm. Where's truth? Where's accountability? Where's where are all these 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 things that we almost read in mythic tales of King Arthur <laughs> and the round table, you know, like, yeah, we need to, these are virtues and need to come back as a matter of survival. Yeah. Which is cool. It's kind of like, when I say it's cool, it's like, it's important. It's mainstream. It needs to be cool. It needs to be important yeah. because when we're backed into a corner, that's when we, you know, that's when we show our resilience mm. and uh, we're almost in that corner. I'd like us to, to, Hopefully, you know, shift away before we're in that mm. corner. But it's it's coming close. But we're pretty good at getting out of corners. So I've got yeah. I've got a lot of hope. Yeah. Have you ever gone through a deeply nihilistic phase? Um, considering the climate of the world right now, yeah. politically, yeah, 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 climate inaction. I I mean, the band previous to this record, there was a sense of like, oh, we've done all this stuff, but it's still not. It's not doing enough and we're still emitting so much crap. Like, how do we get rid of the plastic on all our merch? Like, it, what, there was a bit of a darkness there of going like, are we even, like, are we a part of the solution or really is part of the problem? And that coinciding with just being burnt out, looking at the world with, you know, the Trump administration, I'm, and I'm an American citizen, spending a lot of time over there feeling like I'm in a first world country, but there's third world right outside the fence. Like, yeah. It's just like, yeah, I felt a sense of overwhelming, like powerlessness and all of that, mm. which, uh, yeah, is a little bit, yeah, can get into the shadow and darkness a bit there because you can start like, what am I going to do? What am I going to change? And uh, I think it all, you know, it all, maybe I won't speak for everyone, but yeah, the, the whole pandemic situation, not knowing to what end that actually what was the reality? What was really happening? What do I need to prepare for? You know, we don't know. We didn't see the, we didn't know what the end of it was. Was it real? Was yeah. it fake? So there was a nihilistic thing that came through all of that. But I think yeah. that it's just, it's showed, actually showed me what I want to stand for even more and what do I really care about. Yeah, man. Um, tell us about um, the documentary. So we're making a documentary right now called Green is the New Black. That's the working <laughs> title. Great title. And uh, yeah, Steiner would approve. My black. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's essentially, yeah, metal band's journey towards sustainability, looking as a case study about this record. What are the ways that we can record a record and uh, yeah, offset the emissions? What are the ways that we can print it and press it on 100% recycled materials? What are the ways we can also get the merchandise as well, which is done... For the most part, bands print shirts cheapest they can buy and sell it for as most they can get away with so that they can fund their next tour. Oh, yeah, the ratios. The ratios. So, yeah, we're looking at how to address all the merchandise. And then there's the touring. 
the emissions there, not to mention stage production. I mean, most big bands, it's about how big your show is. How much shit can you blow up on stage? Dude, where's all that pyro gone, man? Oh, man. Where's all your inflatable toys? That's it. In the crowd. What happened to that? Exactly. I don't even go to your shows anymore yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, gonna go, it's going through all of that. Speaking with um, experts such as Damon Gamo from uh, yeah, 2040. Yeah, beautiful man. Yeah, and um, it's a journey. And it's not complete yet, but I'm hopefully going to release it later this year. Yeah. Great, man. Like, I, I think you should really do some epic premieres. I think a lot of people go to the shows, or the, the, the film shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. What are you, the screenings. Screenings, screenings. Yeah, screenings, yeah, yeah. 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 All about I it. hope so, man. Hopefully we can. Are you guys going to enter into any festivals or anything? Or? Oh, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to. Just mainly, I mean, Byron Bay. You know, give it to the Byron Bay International Film Festival. Mm. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Just It's more about the local thing. Yeah. than anything I think and uh, hopefully it's a bit of a bit of a beacon that can ripple outwards yeah because yeah man, I remember um, there was a there was a time I was touring in Brazil the last tour I ever did there I've, I've probably been there like four times and every time I go there I'm kind of learning a bit more about the situation in the world with climate change and then the Amazon as well. Have you played any shows in South America? No, don't tell our Brazilian fans that because again, every yeah. every post come, come to, to Brazil. Brazil. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that you've been there four times yeah, doing yeah, a trip for, sure. for me. Um, there was this conservationist that was in, because I was part of this TV thing the last weekend I was there and we were both getting a trip to the airport. And she said to me, she's like, Billy, the best thing that you can ever do is just get people in nature like instead of just showing them a documentary or showing them the stats, people get scared because of stats. It's like you bring them into a rainforest, you bring them into the bush, you bring them to the Great Barrier Reef because you, you, only, you only love what you know and you only protect what you love or something like that. It was something so profound of just like it's so simple. People will protect nature if they know nature, if they love it. Love that. You know, and so it's just that, I feel like for myself, the more that I can introduce people to surfing, like I'm, I'm trying to plant like a bunch of trees this year through a certain organization over in Europe. And like, I'm really trying to go carbon neutral this year, but, but on like a local level, man, like the more that I can talk about, because I genuinely am so in love with nature more than I've ever been. And I think leaving Sydney was really important for that, Mm. but introducing people to that contagious nature of the mother, you know, just like getting, getting your shoes off and really getting your feet in the soil. And, and re-earthing, re-wilding. Because some people call things re-childing. A lot of this podcast is about re-childing and re-wilding. And I'm like, man, just get people in the bush for a day, you know, and, and going with elders. And and um, it's, just, it's just changed like my whole understanding of the great cause. It's like, because I don't like the idea of like this fight against climate change or fight against big oil because I feel like as soon as you bring in this fight thing, there's always like a dichotomy and a demonizing and a tribalizing that happens of like, we're against this system. We fucking hate ScoMo. And it's just, I don't want that. I don't want to create a new scapegoat, but I know what I love. I'm very Mm. pro um, clean water. I'm very pro clean oceans. I'm very pro keeping the great Australian bite as it is. And so, um, what will that lead to and what kind of causes will I stand up for? And so I think, um, yeah, man, it all starts with a heart connection. Mm. You have to, and standing up for those things is going to be in the way of others that need to get through you to it. Yeah. And that's where, yeah. and that's where, that's where the challenge, yeah. the challenge lies in that, get yeah, the us versus them. 
you're chaining yourself to the tree and suddenly like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a crazy world. I think there's a change, man, even activists, even with, since Solstice, I feel like even in all my friends that were the most revved up, like world-renowned activists, part of politics, going to Canberra, even they are kind of beautifully softening of like this. We just need to be, we need to come back to presence before finding the next target to throw our arrows at. It's like sitting with presence. Mm. It's breathing deeply. It's internal reflection. It's diarising. <laughs> it's proxy to nature. It's going in there and knowing that we're part of nature, that we are nature. And, and then that's where activism actually, like pure, like sacred activism. I like the idea of sacred activism. Mm. Because I think that same punk rock thing from when we were 14 can come into when we're 24 and 34 of just like fucking big, yeah, yeah, big yeah, gas. Yeah, what yeah. are they trying to do, you know? But it's, yep. but it's not really on a spiritual energetic level. You're never really going to really win hearts mm. when you're coming in that dark energy, I find. Yeah. Mm. That's a good, good point. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to be, and yet you have to be direct yeah. and clear. Yeah. And I think be. it's still good to have a plan. You don't want to just like fade off into like mushroom oblivion of just like, you're of so like, you know, it's like, it's still yeah. structure. You need that right brain. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, for sure. But um, Can that, that sounds like a great name for like psychedelic band, mushroom oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Dude, <laughs> I'm so baronized now. It's just like, yeah. But um, Jakey, man, I, I love your heart, man. Love your journey. And it's been so inspiring and life-affirming just to have you speak into this space. Thanks for having me, Billy. It's yeah. Been, it's been beautiful to be I've here. I've missed surfing you. with you. I feel like I was texting you for a while, but you're living up in some chateau in North Sydney on some island for a while. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I am, man. Check it out. No cars. It was so good. That's what you do. Yeah. you <laughs> Chateau. I love that. Yeah, you look at the vacant houses that no one's in and you just go dwell in them for a bit. That's how you do that. Were you creating there? Um, no, I was just practicing tracking each day, oh, like sick. tracking animals and uh, get falling back in, in love with that landscape. That's where one of the places that I, I grew up in. In when, Sydney? Yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, I grew up there. Um, my dad's, that's where my dad has, was living. Uh, not in the house, but in that place. And it was full of, yeah, hippies with kids. And now, I mean, now you know hippies can afford to rent there. But we still have the same friends that have houses there, which we're lucky so they can go yeah. stay in those houses when they're not there. So it's a beautiful, oh, be- beautiful place to uh, reconnect with. Yeah, no cars and just like track goannas all day. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So you're tracking goannas, um, just seeing how they're going with numbers? Um, oh, no, not doing it for a case study. It's uh, all, well, let's just say… <laughs> you're doing a survey. Yeah, a survey, yes. The… Uh, <laughs> The goannas seem to be very active around the months of February. No, um, here we have a royal goanna. Um, no, so there's lots of goannas there. A few goannas, they leave these amazing tracks. Yeah. And so by tracking them, um, it's just a form of, of deep nature connection. Tracking is one of the most… It's said that it is the, the key and the doorway of, a, of greater awareness into the soul and the heart of nature. Because once you can read a track, you know, which I am nowhere near being able to read on that level, you can tell if it was male, female, hungry, thirsty, how old it was, um, what time of day it was, down to whether it was pregnant. And in doing that, you start to read the land because you know where, it, where the food is, where the food that you can, you can eat on the trees and where there's fresh water. And then you start to, it ripples outwards to see like 
when it ha- when you see its erratic pattern and its tails flicking out faster, you know that it's increased its speed for something. Either it was scared or it was going towards perhaps prey. So you know there's birds over there and it starts to open this language that echoes outwards that you start to see that everything is a track. Even, even Mount Wollumbin is a track. Yeah. Everything is a track. And that to me is just like, just, oh, it's just, it gets me so excited to just, to, to learn more about how animals move and how tracks are made. And so the goannas were a, a very prevalent uh, creature there where I was um, staying. And that was a really good opportunity to get clear tracks in, in beautiful untouched sand where you're not getting like 100 people every day walking their dogs. Oh. So that's why that place is great for tracking. <laughs> dude, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's so good, man. Um, just on that note, because yeah, like I… I really want to come with you, by the way. Like I, yeah, I'm so keen to learn from the land and to reacquaint, um, just to get intimate again with nature's rhythms, the flow, the infrastructure of ecosystems and certain species. Can you just quickly clue us into what you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks? Sure. You're leaving us. Sure. Yeah. 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 So I'm just. Uh, it's nice becoming a student again, basically, uh, learning from some incredible mentors that have come from a similar uh, rite of passage through the Lenape and the Apache Indians um, from North America. They've learned from the same teachers and we both found ourselves here and they happen to be, they're 10, 15 years older than I am, have more dirt time experience under their belts and they're incredible teachers themselves. So learning from that lineage at the moment, um, just I guess to, to summarize it, deep nature connection and how to facilitate that space for other human beings because it's just basically coming back in touch with your um, reclaiming, you know, your, your, your right birthright essentially. And you see these incredible transformations in people within a week. Like they come in and it's just like, it's incredible. I can't even put it into words, but it's more than just eyes open and feet in the, in the earth. They're just the way they speak, the tone of voice, their rhythm, the whole perspective on everything is changed within a matter of days. And that just is so like reassuring, reaffirming that this is a great method and way and, and path to be on as, a, as a, becoming a teacher myself. Oh, dude. Sign me out. I'll become a student for sure. Yeah, bro. Well, when I, it, it's from the, um, the guy that began, oh, sorry, that, that helped kind of start this school. Is he in, is he in Tennessee? He is there. It's so, from the Cherokee. So, I mean, the short, it's, it's Apache. Apache, Apache sorry. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, look, essentially there was a, a, an Apache man who was 83 yeah. at the time. This is in the 50s. And I believe it might have been early 60s, 61, 62. He basically met a, a, white, a white boy who was seven. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into the details of how they met, but let's just say they met and crossed paths and he knew that he had to pass on all the knowledge and skills to this white, white boy um, known as the white coyote mm. in his vision. And this white boy would, would basically start a school and, and help out other people to become trackers and to, you know, pass this. That was, you know, that was the intention. It wasn't just to give the skills away. It was to say, hey, you need to teach this, start mm. a school. So that's, it came from that purity and that, that beautiful um, honoring and passing on. So all the teachers and the lineage that come from that, it's so many other, there's different factions now and like, you know, from Portland to here in Australia mm. um, of people, 
yeah, honoring these skills and not trying to change them or make them their own, always honoring their purity and where they've come from. And they're just one truth of the many different threads of truths from all these beautiful First Nations uh, people's ways that, that, that were in total harmony with the earth. Mm. As you know, there's so much to learn from the incredible Australian First Nations peoples that are, mm. that are here. They know how, knew how to live and caretake the land. Mm. So it's just coming back in touch with, with that. And when you look at shelter, you look at you know, tracking, you look at uh, fire making, uh, how to clean water. Yeah. Um, and then there's food, of course, all of these, these things that people like to throw them into. Oh, you know, survival, there's lots of bugs and you'll get bit and it'll be really uncomfortable. But really it's about thriving and Whew. it's about coming back. It's not just surviving, it's thriving. Yeah, bro. In the it's natural it. landscape, dude. It's, coming, it's about coming back. Yeah, back to our back to back to mother mother earth falling back in love with it what we know. Yeah. Um and we have to fall back in love with her in order to protect her in many ways for many people. Yeah. Not just through a David Attenborough show which is fantastic. Yeah. Bridge mind you for people yeah. at home on their TVs but it's not just a show, you know, it's real yeah. life beauty happening out there right now. Oh, dude, I I can't wait to come into nature with you, man. Yeah, man. I'd love to learn some things, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm still much, I feel very much an an apprentice and a no, but I'm very taken back and in love with the practice and everything. My days to become a teacher, hopefully will come one day, but I'd be happy to just go out there as, you know, as brothers and just have a play, like reclaim that childlike sense of play out there. That's really the space that I'm operating in right now because that's where I get most joy and fulfillment. Yeah. Because you grew up with a real fascination about Native American culture from a young age. Yeah. I too, man. Like seeing like Dancing with Wolves and even being inspired by like Pocahontas. And yeah, yeah. Like there's something about acting like the Indian with cowboys and Indians and just loving it, embracing it. It felt, it felt, it felt really, uh, yeah, really, really real and so, so mm. right. There's something about it. And I have someone tell me every week that I look Native American. Yeah, man. I'd love to be yeah. Sue. Yes. Yeah, I'd love to be Apache, Cherokee. Like, <laughs> like I, you know, I've been to America like 20, 25 times. I don't know. Like yeah. I lived there for a while. Obviously yeah. you're American, but yeah, like I really feel like a heart. Yeah. For, it's a heart for country there. Yeah. It's stunning. The land is so beautiful. Yeah. It's so stunning. And yeah, just further to that, it wasn't just the shows. That increased my fascination. It was actually being very lucky to have my aunt living in Santa Fe, New Mexico ever since, you know, I was very, very young. So I got to go on reservations yeah. a couple of times. And I was just, I remember, still remember the, the Adobe rendering with like, you know, the ladders going between some of the structures and the people running around and the kids. Like it was, and, and the uh, El Grand River, like it's just Whoa. mythic, beautiful stuff. Felt like I was in some sort of a movie, you know, yeah. but it was real and that, I could, I could just reach out and 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 touch it and be feel like this is speaks to my heart. So I think oh, that's man. where the seeds were planted for feeling that affinity mm. to the uh, indigenous American culture. Dude, quintessential man. Really thankful. Um, you've got a million things to do, and I, <laughs> I've got so much to reflect on from this chat, bro. And I'm sure everyone listening is going to be so touched. From you sharing, dude. Is there anything else you want to say no, man, to the crew? I just love hanging with you, so we got to be careful we don't talk for, <laughs> for, for hours and hours. Out. We'll wrap it up in a fourth time now. Here we go. Yeah. We'll say goodbye now, but thanks for having me, Billy. Yeah. For Lots sure. of love, man. And um, 
Yeah, I'm really keen to hang out when you get back, dude. Um, yeah, let's let's get wild. Write some things down. I want to see what you channel in the bush over yeah. the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's get wild. We'll go for an overnighter or something. That'd yeah. be great. I really want to make something with you in the studio as well. Some music stuff. So. Hell yeah. Yeah, loving all your new tunes. So. Thank you. Big love, bro. You too, man. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Us podcast. This podcast is created on Bundjalung land, just south of Byron Bay. We pay our respects to the original custodians of this land. If this episode has connected with you, please leave a comment, share the episode on your Instagram stories, and subscribe to this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. The Beginning of Us is produced by Billy Otto. Theme music is by Billy Otto and Khaled Tusker. Technical direction by Eliash Perez. Find out all about Billy's many mindful projects and music by Instagram at, at Billy Otto. Blessings to you and the mistakes.